mature audience history podcast, Dark Histories, True Crime, Salacious Stories by historians for your R-rated educational intellect. This is Grim. Gary Smith was found under a motel bed in New Jersey where some 20 people had used the room in five days and nobody had realized there was a rotting body underneath it. I put the gun under his chin and I shot him. He was gurgling. Blood was pouring out of his mouth. He murdered, sometimes months apart, years apart. He used different methods. He did too good a job in that body because he left that body in the freezer for two years, then took the body out and dumped it in Rockland County, and the body was found before it had fully thawed out. So the doctor doing the autopsy, the medical examiner, when he opened the body up, saw ice inside the body in the summer's day. You know, I just have a few problems I want to dispose of. I have some rats I want to get rid of. The only fucking thing I don't understand, don't you use a fucking piece of iron to get rid of these fucking people? You use this fucking cyanide? Uh, Why be messy? Somewhere he picked up on cyanide poisoning as being a good, quick way to kill somebody. It's such a good way to kill somebody that that's the gas that's used in gas chambers. Cyanide kills faster than arsenic, faster than strychnine, and it's hard to detect if it isn't specifically looked for. Tony Soprano's real-life New Jersey prototype was Richard Kuklinski, a freelance assassin, hitman, international killer with a wife, kids, Swiss bank accounts, a businessman cover, and 200 bodies to his name, arguably. In Iceman 1, we investigated Kuklinski's childhood, his relationship with his mother, his father, his siblings, his own children, wife, neighbors, and introduction to murder. Join us in Iceman 2. Cyanide and ice cream for a story journey down murder lane. Assassin school, tutoring, hitman, mentorship, and training. A psychoanalytical dive into the killer's drive, contacts, marks, balancing cold-blooded hitman shit with family relationships, real to grim form, scrutinies and analysis of a cold-blooded, monetarily driven freelance contract killer. You're listening to Grim, Explicit Histories, Grim Topics, Extreme, Dark Histories, Folklore, and the Paranormal for Mature Audiences. We keep it real, we keep it educational, thought-provoking, like a motherfucker. I'm Joe Woji, and this is Grim. are American and world history professors Joe Woji and Brittany Smith today with historian Ted Sisko, ethics professor Tim Collins, and psychologist and horror writer Frank Juknowitz. Educational fuckery for your enjoyment. You're listening to Grim. The most interesting thing I think about this entire thing is Mr. Softy and the connection with that. You guys read that shit? Mr. Yes. Softy was a fucking hitman too, and he was supposed to have mentored the Iceman. So the Iceman and Mr. Softy, Robert Prongay, were at a New Jersey motel stalking the same mark, and they were like, oh, we're both here to kill the same guy. So they started hanging out. He starts hanging out with Mr. Softy, who's this fucking demolitions expert from the Army Special Forces. 
who he's supposed to have learned all these methods of killing from, including cyanide, which was it became his signature thing, and also freezing bodies he learned also from from Mr. Sothy, who would apparently go around with his ice cream truck for reconnaissance. And according to <laughs> the Iceman, he would sometimes he would kill like some of the fathers while he would actually sell ice cream because you had to sell ice cream. If you're Mr. <laughs> Sothy, you have to actually sell ice cream. So he's driving around in this truck. Would be truck. a little suspicious if he didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's the Mr. Softy truck. I'm going to go buy some ice cream. I'm not selling ice cream. What, what hey, are you uh, doing? Hey, uh, use kids. Use kids. Get away. I know. The this ice is cream, a killing uh, movie. Mr. Softy guy, when I was young, was selling drugs. So <laughs> hey. There was a body on top of yeah. those bomb pops. <laughs> but he was supposed to have learned this whole thing with cyanide from him. And cyanide is, a, if, you, if you watch some of the medical examiners talk about this, cyanide, it's a completely, it's probably like the most effective Very way effective. to kill anybody, but it's like, you got to give them like pure cyanide, like the pharmaceutical grade stuff. And you've got to do it in a real pure form, but you can make it into a couple of different forms. And the one thing that he did, like he would go around in nightclubs. Sometimes he said he would have like a hypodermic needle full of a heart attack, you know, cause he would have like cyanide in it and like jab him with a hypodermic needle or pour it in a drink. And then he would spill his drink on them. And he's like, and then the cyanide would just be on their clothes. And, and it would see. go through the pores and everything. And he would put it in a nasal spray thing and spray it in people's faces and go away. And he put it on that cheeseburger. <laughs> and Mr. Softy would put it in the fucking ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the different color jimmies. Just like he did with the hamburgers. He was like, if it's got the pickles on it, then it's safe to eat. If it doesn't have the pickles on it, then don't eat it. It's got the cyanide in it. I would have died right away because I hate pickles. <laughs> but he kills Mr. Softy. He winds up killing his mentor, Mr. Hey. Softy. And then he can't buy cyanide anymore. He didn't realize how hard, hard it would be to get cyanide because Mr. Softy could just give it to him. <laughs> and he kills Mr. Softy and he can't get cyanide anymore. Yeah, anyone he had doubts about, he would just kill. Anyone who was going to turn him in or the way he met the business associates and be ready to do a deal you talked about earlier and then just kill them and take the money. It is simple. And he says at the end, I'm like, bored. none of my friends, I don't have any more friends. Killed I have one <laughs> friend that I allowed to live for 30 years and he's the one that put me in jail. <laughs> I had one friend too many that I left and I only left one of them alive and he put me in jail fucker because <laughs> he had that that roses gang that he started when he was a little kid the coming up roses gang and he according to him killed a couple of them and he would just kill bosses friends associates he would kill anybody but family family was the only thing and if he had killed his wife he had to kill everybody in the family yeah. too though he had right, that. that goes without saying but mr softy <laughs> offered mr softy told him he said robert prongay he said well what we should do is you should kill my family and i should kill your family so that we're without attachments and then he killed mr softy for saying that <laughs> and he was robert prange was killed in 1984 and it was through shots to the head so it wasn't even the cyanide shots to the head interestingly though even though richard at his truck too at his mr softy truck oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely in the softy <laughs> truck getaway, can't forget that his getaway truck <laughs> Richard uh, Klinsky, though, was the prime suspect since 1986, but he was never charged because eventually he was already serving like two consecutive yeah. life sentences with another 30 years. So they were like, it's going to be pointless to go through a whole nother well, they trial. Did, they'd convict him of another crime while he's in prison, of another murder while he's in prison. The yes. Cop, yes. Right? So that was the additional 30 yeah, on top of the two. Trooper. That life. was the guy he shot with the shotgun in the car. And his only thing about that was he was surprised. Not that he died, but that his head blew off. He's oh, like, yeah. It's surprising. Right. He goes, it was surprising. He goes, 
I expected him to die, but the head blowing off. <laughs> that was I'm the like, New York City police detective Peter Calibro. Yeah, Calibro? but he was a dirty cop. I'm not not to excuse it, but yeah. you know he wasn't in a cop car; he's in his own car, and so. he didn't know he was a cop when yeah, he was hired. He, didn't know. he says by Sammy the Bull, and he was also supposed to testify against Sammy yeah. the Bull, and then they dropped the charges against Sammy, who was in jail for like twenty some years, something like that. Once Kuklinski died in prison, and Kuklinski said to his wife and his daughter on the phone, "They're poisoning me. Yeah. These motherfuckers are poisoning me." And they couldn't remember Barbara's phone number and he was all disoriented and they did an autopsy on him and they said no no he had Kawasaki's disease and he had a, a rare blood vessel thing but well, you I never know. know about that I mean, now I, I had have... read so I had read about the autopsy and how it was cardiac arrest but I also read and I don't know if you guys also came across this that he had wanted to be resuscitated if he went into a heart attack and Barbara but Barbara <laughs> basically <laughs> signed a DNR order hey, do and not so resuscitate this yeah the medical <laughs> right the like, doctors no Barbara already called, signed this do not resuscitate <laughs> Yeah, the doctors called her and like, do you want to rescind that? And she's like, no. So she kept the DNR in place. So when he had the heart attack, he was not resuscitated. I have the power now. How is that possible, though? I mean, doesn't he still have control of his own body in prison? I'm not really sure how that works because I thought they were also divorced by that point. So like, I also thought she was the ex-wife by that point. No, no. They they stayed, according to the sources. But they did divorce. She was married to him until he died. It says married till 2006. He filed divorce papers as soon as he went to jail. I thought they were divorced in like 1993 when he was in prison. He filed divorce papers. I'm assuming that they through. went through but they kept in contact and she only visited him like once a year but they talked on the yeah. phone all the time and he kept loving her at least a form of love the most I don't really could. understand all the intricacies there but that's why I had read he so. well, yeah. you would have to be would, deemed that he couldn't make couldn't make his own decisions, decisions. And he couldn't though at that end at that point. end point he was that bad but yeah, th- didn't that, he already why. make that decision though once you're incompetent I teach medical but, ethics I know about the Supreme Court case in 1990 that basically gives us all the right to refuse treatment mm-hmm. so all of us have the right to refuse treatment rather through DNR whether we can express it but if we become incompetent then other people are supposed to speak on our behalf they're not just to say what they want they're supposed to say what you would have wanted if you become so you if he's already declared be, have dementia and yeah he's like if, i want to be resuscitated but he's already declared she's like nah he doesn't want it <laughs> that's basically that's the awful. way the law works but when joe said he wanted to be resuscitated i'm assuming that was in something earlier like years before like hey, if anything happens resuscitate me what would happen to change that just because he becomes incompetent his last wishes were to be resuscitated so wouldn't they resuscitate him not they would be likely to listen to the family prison at this point too, yeah, too. so it's not people on the outside right. you're a little bit more why well, he's in custody so. and they're also most likely to listen to the family from a practical point of view because they're the ones who are gonna dead people can't sue you but families can so if you save them against their will what they're saying they're fearful that you're gonna sue and it like joe said it's also in a prison not a regular hospital so and he's just gonna be a liability yeah more like, uh, money is gonna be spent on the ice man assassin yeah, right. he was 70 years old it was in the trenton state prison the medical hospital would be kind of fitting if they did like cryogenic him the ice man fucking cryogenic in that guy (laughs) the ice man it would be on brand is that what you're saying (laughs) the aesthetics of it appeal to you that'd be great I love some of these fucking bullshit stories that he's told though like so I was I would have did it for free but I was paid money to do it there was this guy that raped one of the mob boss's daughters I was paid to cut his dick off and feed him to the sharks and then rub salt in his dick wound I'm like you cut a dick you guys dick off you threw him to the sharks and then there was another story in Nigeria where he had to go someplace to do I don't know something but he was brought to some house where they had like fucking little kids kidnapped and put in the basement so he came back that night and murdered all the guys and was like hey 
as any use can count. Here's where the phone is. You're all free now. I killed. I, yeah, he's got all these crazy fucking stories that he killed Paul Castellano. Did he say Jimmy he Hoffa? Yeah, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy Hoffa. Hoffa. He, he fucking lit Jimmy Hoffa on fire. As a matter of fact, too. Is so that he, the story where he said he also went out to Detroit and grabbed him there, and then they yeah. brought the body out to New Jersey and like threw him in a lake in New Jersey? And like the police detectives who are yeah. were talking about this were like, "Why there are lakes in? in why would you? Dra-? They're like, no, this is stupid. Are <laughs> like, right next to you, and then you drive across the country to New Jersey because that's where the corpse. They want to take him to the rat caves. <laughs> they put him in. That's in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. <laughs> They put him in a junkyard in a barrel, <laughs> and then they were like, oh, we better dig this man up because the heat is on us. And then they dig him up, they light him on fire, they crush him in a car, and they send him to Japan. Instead of like putting him in the Great Lakes with like a chain on his leg and to sink to the bottom. There's right so there. many questions that come up. I in thought he was in the old Meadowland Stadium. <laughs> well, I heard he was dating Jody Foster because he killed, he shot at Ronald Reagan. Yeah. That wasn't really John Hinckley Jr. I think that, uh, you know, Elon Musk is going to, I heard, shoot him up to the Mars <laughs> experiment there on the Falcon Heavy. If we can get that much technology, maybe we just want to eliminate these sort of psychopathic genes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so so who would you rather date, though? Who would oh, you? Oh, right, here right. we go. Uh, right, listen, Brittany, for you, Brittany. Would, no, it's not for Brittany. It's for, yeah, it's, it's not for me, Ted. It's for you, okay, Ted. <laughs> it's for you, Ted. There you go, Ted. <laughs> who would you rather date, Josephine Rivera? Okay. Or Kristen Kuklinski? I don't know what Kristen Kuklinski looks like. I didn't see a picture of her. <laughs> but the Iceman would be stalking you on your date, though. But he's dead now. No, 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 no. But this, <laughs> this is in 1980. Let's pretend this is 1981. <laughs> hmm. Josephine Rivera. The clock is ticking. Uh, probably Josephine Rivera. It had to be. Yeah, she doesn't have evil genes. Yeah, I was going to say, no. Yeah. And she's a crack horse. She can just throw her out and not worry about it. So, <laughs> But she doesn't seem like a morally Nobody's bad person. Nobody's going to me for dating Josephine Rivera. Right. That is true. You're, you're connected to that really bad decision. genes. That was a good exactly. decision. That was a good decision. That was right. That was out. Unlike Brittany, I thought it out. I actually gave an answer. Okay. What would you rather do? Brittany. Would you rather... This is for everybody. Would you rather eat... Ted. Would you rather eat... Mr. Softy with Kristen Kuklinski smoke crack with Marty Graham. What are these questions? The corpse collector. He smokes crack. These are things that are important to these people. Smoking crack is important to the corpse collector. Would you rather oh, okay. eat Mr. Softy with Kristen Kuklinski? Do you literally mean Mr. Softy or just ice cream from Mr. Softy? No, just the ice cream. Just <laughs> everybody cream. Cream. cannibalism or from, yes. from the guy that cyanides ice okay, cream. Okay, just though. the ice cream from the guy that cyanides the ice cream. Would you rather okay. eat the Softy with Kristen? Smoke crack with Marty Graham. Play Lotion Jerry with Joe D'Angelo. <laughs> what? Lotion Jerry with Joe D'Angelo. Take cooking lessons with Gary Heidnick. Oh, cooking lessons with Gary Heidnick, definitely. Or eat hamburgers with the Iceman. No. Well, no, because I don't like pickles. So I, I, <laughs> Wait, I, I have a question. What kind of build did Marty Graham have? He was kind of skinny. He was, yeah, he was. Okay. No, he was a big dude. Yeah. Was he big? Yeah, I don't think I can. Real big dude. I better pick the guys I can outsmart because I don't think I can overpower any of these guys. <laughs> you can overpower Gary Heidnick. He was yeah, a skinny dude. Heidnick was decent size. He wasn't huge, but he wasn't small. He was the smallest of these guys. He really? wasn't the Iceman. Well, no, no. The Iceman no, no. could have fucking ate him like a hamburger. <laughs> His cleverness, though, is scary. Yeah. And his ruthlessness. You would smell him coming a mile away. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially during a trial when you shower for, like, weeks on end. He didn't want to get raped. He wanted to be unappealing to those <laughs> men raping him in prison. There's a method to the madness. <laughs> Did you guys, if you were looking up the Iceman, he kind of looked like 
when he was in his 40s at least he kind of looked like Andy Bellafleur from True Blood oh okay did, yeah he did you're not going to ask me who I'm going to date now are you yeah Andy no. Bellafleur <laughs> or the Iceman I would date Andy Bellafleur before I dated the Iceman alright so Joe what was your answer to the question Josephine Rivera or Josephine yeah. Josephine okay yeah yeah Josephine would you take the cooking lessons with I would Gary. take the cooking lessons right. with Gary yeah so we're on the same, Gary same wasn't wavelength gonna, Gary wasn't going to kill me <laughs> no 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 he wanted to kill Josephine. Brittany, on the other hand. He didn't even want to I kill her. He just, yeah. <laughs> Did we really think Kaklinski had paranoid personality disorder? I don't know yeah, if I know I think so. enough to... That's say. what Dr. If, Dietz said. If he was too. killing the people that worked with him in that ring, then you can say it was a par- You could make the justification maybe it was paranoid. Right, but you have if you have legitimate things to be paranoid about, you don't right. have paranoid Obviously, personality Obviously, like you yeah. said, he probably should have killed his last friend because then... He yeah. <laughs> it was rational, if not moral. A couple of more years anyway. Yeah. But he uh, only had this mid-level burglary ring he didn't even have this like crazy sort of like what you see in hollywood professional assassin thing going on but when you heard him speak they asked him like how much he got paid for assassinations which i think is something that interests me right like what does an assassin make and we have these exotic ideas of like assassins make all this money and they live in like these fucking high rises and they have these exotic lives with passports and shit and you don't know what he said was true or not he said five figures figures, and this would have been like like through the 70s and 80s, early 80s. So he said the higher end of the five figures. So like if you're to believe him, it's like 70, $75,000, yeah, yeah. which would be like 200000 or a quarter mil today. I, I I call bullshit. He had a public defender. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he was getting 10 grand. Yeah. Maybe he was getting five Especially grand. with the mob. They're not going to pay that much money for a hit. They're only going to have you. They have their own people. Right. I mean, they, they got don't their own employees. Right. outside. I mean. The only time they're actually going to pay extra for killing somebody is going to be if there's like somebody testifying. against you and then you need to kill them quick. Mm-hmm. Do it through somebody else so it's not really traced back to your group. So that's why you would hire somebody from the outside. So if you guys at home, if you want to go into assassination and hitman as a business. 101. <laughs> not that we're recommending that no. you do that. That's our disclaimer. <laughs> if you listen to Kuklinski, you can make a quarter mil a hit, but I call bullshit on that. And he also maybe didn't kill that many people. So it's more evident. He didn't evidence. get 100 hits right. for like what would be equivalent of 200,000 today. Right. His Swiss bank account was large. <laughs> I can read the criteria oh, to see like okay. if people want to they're wondering if they are you're like is my spouse a antisocial personality disorder I mean, hopefully they're not Let's go through the list. Yeah. are they coming home with like suitcases full of money my former best friend was my therapist straight up told me after a while she's like your friend's a psychopath like no doubt <laughs> really? yeah because like did not, they work for mr salty <laughs> no he, did not. he would do shady things but not like the stereotypical type of person you would think it's not yeah. always violent it's manipulation he would manipulate my wife when i wasn't around like talk her into it you mm. know what i mean and wait till i'm not around to talk her into like you know where we're going to go out somewhere. Talking your wife into doing things, I'd be like... <laughs> Ted thought it was going to get much yeah, worse. I was going to say, very it quick. more interesting. It piqued my interest. I'm like, like, what else did he convince her to do? <laughs> do tell. <laughs> just... Brittany knows me way too much now. I know exactly where Ted got interested. Oh, <laughs> sits up straight. Didn't go that far. Glad to hear it. The only other thing I was going to mention was that Mr. Softy, as much of a slick hitman as he was supposed to be, he was a demolitions expert from like the Army Rangers or something like that. Apparently, he broke up with his wife, and over child support, he blasted the front door off the house with a remote detonator. 
north, from the south. You don't even know. I'm just like exploding into action. I'm a slick assassin. Nobody's gonna know this was me. I'm just the no army demolitions guy. The upset yeah. ex-husband. Exactly. <laughs> when we talk about Richard Kuklinski, Big Richie, <laughs> I think it's not. kind of a, like Olga, like Saint Olga, the episode there where the Karen Chronicler <laughs> was just embellishing the living bullshit out of the story. There's Sometimes a, you just need a good story. There's a core truth. Saint Olga's another episode, yeah. listeners, that you can listen to her four or five step revenge plan. It's a good story that has a core of truth and yes. then you embellish from there for a good fucking story for a better story and that's the way with everything I mean that's Hollywood yeah <laughs> every story you start with a good true story but then you embellish the rest just like the conspiracy theories there's always like a kernel of truth the next tour guide that Grim Philly is going to hire is going to be Big Richie Kuklinski the ghost of Big Richie Big Kuklinski Richie. oh we're yeah, hiring ghosts now <laughs> we're hiring Big Richie so am I going to get a resume for that or you're going to get a resume that he's sending it in <laughs> you'll get it it's going to be like the Mad Libs right <laughs> don't think the government's going to that. This is why I'm not assassinated having a beer with this JFK. guy. Then. Well, what's Lee Harvey Oswald was murdered right here. He's then I don't know what happened to the body. Which accent are you doing there, Joe? I, I was trying to do Marlon Brando in The Godfather. I don't know if it was working out very well. <laughs> okay, I was just curious. You've been doing a bunch of accents this episode. You're going to hire enough. him to do the serials? <laughs> <laughs> but we have psychopathy and the actual clinical definition of that for you guys. Yeah, so in <laughs> learning about the Iceman, I just couldn't believe that his wife, his family, they thought he was in sales. He's bringing home this money. He would just get up in the middle of dinner walk out to go do business at odd hours and I thought it struck me as really odd that they just didn't have an inkling that he was a sociopath Christmas, right. night, Christmas night as a matter of fact he's, yeah. saying he's putting together yeah. toys for the kids and it really bothered him that this motherfucker owed him 1600 bucks and he drove into the city he drove into the, in New York City he finds him he shot him in a car covered with snow and he was like and it really sucked because I shot him in the car with a 45 my ears were ringing and, yeah. and I had spots before my eyes and it, yeah. it wasn't pleasant and then I went home and I kept putting the toys together yeah. the kids. <laughs> and that's when he learned that they found the body when he was putting the toys together and that's what happened on one Christmas night <laughs> on one Christmas Eve so for public service I'm going to give you guys the I'm reading right from the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders 5th edition DSM-5 which is the bible for the psychology field so if you're wondering if your spouse or somebody in your family has antisocial personality disorder, here's the actual diagnostic criteria. There has to be a pervasive pattern of disregard and violation for the rights of others. That would certainly be him. <laughs> As evidenced by three or more of these criteria. I'll summarize it, but basically failure to conform to social norms with respect to the law. To be I left him in a drum over by City Hall. And you're hoping just, someone it, just pick it up. It disappeared. I don't know what happened. Cut off their fingers. Second criteria is deceitfulness indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit. Third is impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. That's definitely him. Four, irritability, aggressiveness is indicated by repeated physical fights and assaults. That's him. It's only me while driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if it's justified, that's... Oh, there you go. <laughs> His well, daughter he... talked about road rage. There's a genetic component. <laughs> or five, reckless disregard for safety of self or other. Six, consistent irresponsibility is indicated by repeated failure to pay your bills or maintain your work ethic to keep your job. Seven is lack of remorse, mm. being indifferent to hurting other people. So if you've got three of those, you are probably have antisocial personality disorder. Hmm. Oprah will want to talk to you, though. People will send you naked pictures because <laughs> he got a whole bunch of naked pictures and love letters when he went to jail, he said, and he could give a fuck. <laughs> and then Oprah asked him to come on and he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I make you cry. You don't make me cry. What's with the serial killer groupies that, because uh, so, Ramirez yeah, had yeah. that too, right? Yeah, Richard He had fangirls sending him. Following. Gary Hodnick did not have any serial killer <laughs> 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 Nor Ted did Bundy. Of course, Ted Bundy, yeah. Ted Bundy was a first 
first one with the big draw. Well, Ted Bundy's well-spoken, good-looking guy. Yeah. I, I get confused. I look at the pictures. That good-looking. Yeah, unibrow. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, weird. like you were saying the, that before that you were yeah. fixated on yeah. his unibrow. Well, that's because like, like everybody's like he's so attractive, and then you look at a photo, and it's like you have a unibrow, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but then I watched the Netflix movie, and I forget who's playing. Zach Efron. Yeah, for and, he, and he didn't have a unibrow. Guy, so I'm like, Zach Efron. Ted Bundy is a good. Zach Efron did not have a unibrow. Would you say he's more attractive with or without the clown makeup? <laughs> oh, there's the question. Kuklinski, you could do the killer clown, John Wayne Gacy, or Ted Bundy. You have to date one of them. No, I don't have to date any of them. <laughs> I'm not dating known serial killers. You have to pick one. Absolutely not. <laughs> You're no fun. Sorry, Ted. <laughs> Absolutely no fun. I'm still going to say John Wayne Gacy for you. <laughs> He must have been You're not fun. as type, though. He, he went was for the clown. guy, so you should be safe with him. Oh, okay. That's good to know. <laughs> but is it somewhat true that people who have antisocial personality disorder alone without factor one psychopathy, factor one psychopathy is like the successful psychopaths, whereas the people with just antisocial personality disorder sociopaths are like failed psychopaths. Because there's something like 5% of all CEOs are psychopathic, even oh. though they're only <laughs> about a half percent of the population. What is the one where you fake your emotions? Is that psychopathy or is that sociopath? Say again. Or you mimic. Fake. You don't know. You don't have emotions, but you mimic other people's emotions. Like everybody in uh, here is sad, but I don't feel it. And I'm like, I must be sad. So I get sad. So you mimic that. Yeah. In your mimic facial the expressions. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because so, that's what Dexter did. And yeah, exactly. When so, it comes to the actual diagnosis for in the world of psychology, they don't differentiate. Oh, no, no. It's really. all antisocial personality disorder and it may have different expressions. Okay. I was thinking more like narcissism. I guess that can be a separate t- and overlap. There is frequent overlap. overlap disorders too. So when you ask me, could he be paranoid personality disorder in addition to this? Absolutely. Totally. He'll ice you when you're sleeping. Cyanide when you're awake. For motherfuck's sake, you better watch your motherfucker. You what would Christmas be like at the Kuklinski's? He said the very first time he went to his wife's house for Christmas time that he was like, oh my God, there's actual love. These motherfuckers yeah. actually like each other and they yeah. give presents to one another. When I was a kid, this never happened. Actually, when he had his first holy communion he said his family didn't even go with him and the other kids everybody got a watch for a present from their families he noticed and he stole a watch or well he didn't steal it he bought like a cheap ass watch from his own saved up money but he never had the love so for Christmas he always told these little Christmas stories he wanted lights out and to attend the block parties in the summertime with the neighbors he tried to make it nice well that's kind of like says. what you were getting at when you say that a sociopath might mimic empathy mm-hmm. he was probably trying to mimic what he saw like this is what a happy environment is this is what love is. Yeah. So let me try and instill that in his own way, but he ends up throwing people around in the house and beat. And then the next day ripping the kitchen sink out because there's a story that he ripped the kitchen sink out and threw it out the window and then he ripped a marble table out, like a marble countertop out that took like four people to install, throws it out the window because he just fucking gets livid because he's just, he snaps and he's this angry broken person. Once it's that deep in your childhood, you imagine eating crappy food your whole life and then you discover good food. Oh, alright, now I'm just going to eat this. Like, why doesn't it work the same way with love like you grow up in a household with all this violence and hatred and then you get older and you see like oh these are loving caring people maybe i'll just do that now but well, because like like so Jim, that is the answer for all of our problems <laughs> you just solved the world's problems right there but like you mentioned earlier with the formative years that's just ingrained in you yeah. so it's always yeah. there now so if there's, it, yeah. if there's no connection there's nothing like, there when you're at that age then right. no matter how much you want it when you're older how much you're exposed to it you're always back to that point where you don't have that emotion you could, those sexual fetishes you could probably unwind them somewhat but it's always like where you start is you're never going to fully get away from that right the formative years are when you're developing your understanding of how to navigate your environment
environment and interpersonal relationships. Right. And that's your template. And so he started off with a bum template <laughs> and that's all he had to work with. And right. you can modify and overlay other templates on that as you go, but yeah, it'll never it'll change what's at the at core. Your base yeah. Are there ages, like certain ages for formative years? Up to five years old. That's early child development. Yeah. So you're and you're kind of formed, and you can't really change that. Your parents are the biggest influence at that point. Then, as you get a little older, peers become a little bit more of an influence. As but you already got that foundation, right? And his peers, if we're talking about Kuklinski, yeah. I mean, this is Jersey City. This is not a nice neighborhood. People are picking on each other. They have gangs. Yeah. It's also the time period too. He was born in 1935. And a lot of that Irish Catholic. Like I have some of that in my background, whereas kids don't talk yeah you speak when spoken to exactly everyone beats the shit out of everyone and he went to catholic school so that's a big yeah back then i mean it was was brutal i mean yeah. corporal punishment yeah like my grandfather and great-grandfather yeah. they were they were i mean brutal. i was given punishments when i was in catholic school but i'm sure it wasn't anywhere near what it was in the 30s and 40s yeah i caught the tail end of that in like first second grade saw Did some you? of the nuns Ooh. that were still i got the ruler, with the ruler. I, I, yeah mm-hmm. i got the ruler i got the hair pull i got the minor abuse but then you'd go home to your parents and say hey they did this and they would be you to not beat you, but they would be like, Well, you did something wrong. They never got they Jesus beat you, you did uh, something. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> got beat a second time. So, yeah, it was. I said nowadays, I don't believe they do that in Catholic school anymore. I don't think they're allowed. No, yeah. I was like you in the tail end, though. Mm-hmm. I think the last thing I getting a little off topic, but the last thing I witnessed was an old, old nun, like in her 70s, and she hated big guys. And there was this big guy on the football team. This had to be like seventh grade. Catholic school is very regimented, you have to line up to go to the yes. bathroom mm-hmm. single file. And he was slightly out of line, so she just walks up, kicked him as hard as she could but he's a big guy so she ended up breaking her foot on him oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> oh i also get the earlobe deal pull you around by the earlobe and it was funny because in sixth grade we had a nun who i shit you not she was maybe four foot ten and <laughs> there were bigger guys than i were but all the bigger guys were scared to death of her we would not mess with her and we were towering over her we could have <laughs> beaten her up easily but we were so scared of her we just made sure we didn't mess with her at all she made one guy cry and he's like huge right you were conditioned <laughs> oh yeah definitely conditioned the most interesting <laughs> Interesting present that I can Uh-oh. remember that Kuklinski gave to his son was a crossbow. And to try it out, just to see if it would work, yeah. he, sh- at least according to him, he shot a motherfucker in the head, just a random guy, to kill him with the crossbow to see if it worked. And then he gave it to his son for Christmas. Brain. At least he knows it works. You believe that story? I I said, that, say, is that yeah, truth yeah. or false? I don't remember reading in the New York Times or the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> at least he didn't do it on an animal. That's good. Because he already killed That a motherfucker was killed with a crossbow at Christmas time. I don't remember reading it. I mean, maybe he did have a really good imagination, you know, if he had put that he better cartoons? use. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he got the idea for the sharks from uh, fishing and chum and stuff like that, putting chum in the water. Oh, that reminds me, I know a little bit off topic, but the cannibal cop, he didn't do it. The guy in New York City, he had all these stories and he went on forums and he used his wife's name, real people he knew. I don't know if you heard the whole story, but very intricate, very, like some of the creepiest stories you will ever heard. Mm. And he got charged with conspiracy to kidnap and commit murder and he was like look it's all sexual fantasy and it was all about cooking women it was really fucked up stuff they did drop the charges and i think it was the right call because it did seem to be like a freedom of speech thing but he used real names he took their faces so disturbing on facebook he took pictures of them and sent them these other guys and he's like i'm gonna pay you ten thousand dollars to kidnap her he now is out not a cop obviously anymore but he is writing novels because he's like i'm so creative so he's writing extreme horror novels are they are they successful his novels i think like modestly when you listen to him speak, you're actually like, he's pretty reasonable. My wife's like, fucking turn this off. And, you know, but I mean, like, I agree with your wife, but... Wait, is this the guy 
guy that John Mulaney he like says, mentioned in one of his stand-ups. Listening to him, I'm like, he says, he's like, I get why women don't like me. I get why people think I'm totally distasteful and you have that right. But he's like, for me, it's always been in the realm of fantasy and I'll never cross that line. But BTK was that way for a long time. Like for like decades, it was just fantasy and obviously he crossed over. It's tricky. Like, what do you do with this guy? But he probably shouldn't have been found guilty of any crime because one, he didn't do anything, but it didn't seem to be a legitimate conspiracy that he was really going to follow through on. It did seem to be fantasy. He was on like cannibal websites. Like, yeah, it's creepy as fuck though. If you go listen to it. I think the one thing that we're missing is the Gemini Club and mm-hmm. the connection to the Iceman with the Gemini Club in Brooklyn, New York. So the Iceman says, because he's not in any of these organizations, he's not in any of these families that he contract kills for the mafia, for the Gambinos, the Pontis, Genovese's, the Bananas, the Cavacantis in, New- in Newark, the Lachesis, but the Gambinos, they have this Gemini Club. And this is where Roy DeMeo works out of where he first gets introduced to this life in organized crime, at least. And so between 1973 and 1983, the Mayo, the FBI says, murdered anywhere between 70 and 200 people inside of the Gemini Club, which is, by the way, a church today, that location too. But if you think about it, all of these mobsters, they run these social clubs. So in other words, it's members only, so you have to be part of the gang to get in. It's not just public, but it makes it seem like it's a public place for their marks. If somebody's going to be murdered, they're like, hey, come on to the social club. Come on it. But they can lock the doors and the only people that are actually inside, there might be a bunch of people, but they're all part of the gang. So I'm thinking probably that they killed them in a bloodless way downstairs and you don't want to leave blood downstairs but you lock the door you kill them like that and then you bring them upstairs like in a big tub but what they would do is they would dismember the bodies and then box them up and ship them out to the Fountain Avenue dump in Brooklyn which has apparently tons of waste brought there every day (laughs) and apparently it's too much to actually sift through to see unless maybe it's an entire body but what they would do is they would box it up really well it would just be a bunch of boxes and this is how they would dispose of everybody so this is the place where they wind up putting wiretaps into and a lot of mobsters arrested by that but it was a lot of effort on the part of the fbi to kind of infiltrate that but they would bring people upstairs from the gemini club and this is the place where he worked out of and he says that he killed roy DeMeo at one point because roy DeMeo brought him inside the social club locked the doors pulled a fucking gun on him gave him a beating one time when he couldn't pay back a loan that he had he had a bunch of like the porn tapes on loan and he owed the money for it and couldn't pay it all back quickly enough and so you know he got a beating as opposed to beating other people and he was like i you know i had to kill that motherfucker for that This is what he says, at least anyway, later on. So Kuklinski's days come to an end basically in 1986 in Dumont, New Jersey. They blockade his street. He's always said that he wanted to go out in a hail of gunfire. He would never be caught. And they wait till he was with his wife driving down the street because they figured that he's not going to have a shootout with his wife there if this is the only person that he loves. And that's what he said, that that's the reason he didn't have a shootout. They charged Barbara with having his gun. They charged his son, Dwayne, with having weed that was somebody else's. Like, this is just obviously a useful thing for the police to have something else against him to get him to confess by using this, I don't know, contrited fuckery, you know, against family members of his. If you don't confess, we'll go after your family. Yeah, basically. 
any case, they dropped those charges for him to confess. And he's busted already because he's given this damning evidence on the phone that's recorded to the undercover cop, Dominic. Mm -hmm. And he's locked up in Trenton State Prison, ironically, with it's the same prison his brother, his little brother is locked up in, too, for killing that 12-year-old girl and sodomizing her and throwing her off the roof. And he won't speak to his brother. Even though they're in the same prison together and he says that they cross each other's path sometimes in the hallways and he'll nod and they'll say hi and that's it. He won't because associate with his with crime. Because he's a fucking candy striper. He's a child molester is what he is. And he, Kuklinski, that the Iceman, wants to, like in his contorted sort of way of thinking, protect women, protect children, protect family. His little brother Joseph has gone completely against all of that. So he's got this odd moral compass within his murderous behavior and his abusive behavior that he sort of partially follows I, I suppose. I was saying, but he's not beyond beating women and children just not right, killing them. In his close. mind. Yeah. In his <clears throat> mind that's what he's doing. Between. It's not in real life. Yeah. But, but nobody sees themselves as a villain. No. That's exactly. true. Everybody's the, the hero of their right. own story. Mm-hmm. Master rationalizers. Mm-hmm. I mean we all are on some level but some are worse than others. But yeah. now he says he's an international criminal and he's, he's assassinated people People in South America, Africa, Europe, apparently Detroit, (laughs) New Jersey, Philadelphia, and New York. All of his claims after he's convicted and incarcerated led to three different HBO specials in 1992, 2001, 2003, two biographies, one by Anthony Bruno in 1993, a second one by Philip Carlo in 2006. Bruno's book and the first documentary from 1992 were the basis for a 2012 motion picture on him called The Iceman, Michael Shannon and Weona Ryder. Ray Liotta as well. And Stone Cold Steve Austin has got his name from him too because he wanted to be Stone Cold like The Iceman. So there's plenty of material, listeners, if you want even more information on The Iceman. And he was sentenced by the judges, I don't know his real name, but they called the guy The Time Machine. Because he sentenced people to lots of time. <laughs> so he got yeah, it was two life sentences. And this then like when the he judge. pled guilty to the dirty New York City cop in 2003, I believe, it was an additional 30 years. Yeah, he's, never already, yeah, he's never getting out. No. But I'm and thinking he, his I mean, kids and his wife could write books like Sleeping with the Iceman or The Iceman was my dad. The Iceman something. I mean, if they want to link themselves that way. They are his family. Yeah, you might as well Change make some name, money out of it. Distance yourself from that. Imagine, it might not like, be something you want to advertise. And like a, in a fucking dating app someplace. <laughs> Christmas with the Kuklinskis. Christmas at the Kuklinskis with Kristen. Yeah, if you go to SNL skit. <laughs> it would be a skit. Santa's in the freezer. <laughs> the reindeer's all cut up in the, in the freezer. You know it's Rudolph because has the red. Hey, you've been good for this. <laughs> this Christmas. It sounds like a, hey, you's you sound, sound like a North Jersey Jewish guy. I was going to say, what do you sound like? <laughs> We've known each other many years. <laughs> it's the first you've come to me for counseling sign on the accents, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do we have anything more to say about the Iceman? Big Richie Kuklinski. I think we're good. <laughs> I think he dated Marilyn Monroe because she's not here to say it because she's dead. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> assassinated Lee Harvey Oswald wouldn't be surprised if that was the next thing I read it's crazy too because like all these dudes like were in the same era too because the Frankfurt Slasher was 85 Iceman's 86 Gary Hodnick's 87 Corpse Collector's 88 when you want mafia assassins cutting rapist motherfuckers dicks off and feeding them to the sharks the true crime dark histories podcast for you 
Don't forget to subscribe. The SEO gods love that shit. GrimPhilly.com for all of your live walking tour needs for history tours, ghost tours, true crime tours of Philadelphia, the highest rated of all of those. Patreon.com backslash GrimPhilly to be a friend to the show, to show your support for the Dark History's true crime educational podcast for mature audiences. We are Joe Woji, Brittany Smith, Ted Cisco, Tim Collins, and special guest today, Frank Horror. You keep listening and we will be here for you. For Grim, the podcast, and Grim Philly, the Philadelphia tours, keep it beautiful and keep it grim. He had one of those Mr. Softy trucks. Did you ever see it? The gift of grim, motherfucker, in the yuletide season of family and giving this holiday season with the ones you love, sugar plum motherfuckers and chestnuts, have Santa Claus bring to every one of those beautiful motherfuckers who you love the gift of a grim Patreon. Do you know what the Christmas season gift of a grim podcast Patreon gives to a loved one? Your generous donation of a buck or two, 25 cents, a nickel helps keep the lights on up this motherfucker. It's the giving season. 12 or 25 cents not only will fill a motherfucker's heart full of joy and help us to bring more of this free content to you that we work so hard to bring, but we'll open all of our grim archived back episodes, a bunch of interviews from the United Kingdom that I've done. We're finding a hell of a time finding the time to edit because we've got to have these actual jobs that we do to keep the lights on. And your pennies and dimes can help find an editor for us for that. And some very sporadic meet and greet, grab beers with us sort of thing with all of us from the show together with us, with you. Sometimes themed for Christmas, magic, voodoo, love, classic events from the past, and specialty Patreon first or Patreon exclusive themed events. Our first, we've never done it before sort of thing. We're going to dress a motherfucker up like Dolly and James Madison, the father of the Constitution, fourth president who fucking hated Ben Franklin, drinks with the Madisons for Christmas. If we can get it together, traditional Christmas wassail, a bunch of us from the show, Christmas founders, dress motherfuckers up like Dolly and James, make it a success and there will be more. We're looking at the month of January. Gift your support of the show to someone you love for Christmas and come and see us right after. We do put an incredible amount of time and resources into the show. Brittany and myself and Ted, cast of a dozen recurring professionals, master's degrees and PhDs, mostly none of whom gets paid a penny. Your generous donation of <laughs> any the fuck thing at all helps immensely. All bullshit aside does help. Like you can't imagine anything, a buck or three cents gift your support of the show to someone you love for Christmas 
any kind generosity of friendship towards the show, toward us. We cannot thank you enough for 